Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to The Schlep as we're working our way through this season of asking all dim questions, asking the 20 questions um, throughout church history, one major question per century in the 20 centuries of church history. And so today we're in the third century, gotten Doc Brown's DeLorean, went back in time, and we're asking the question, what happens to Christians who backslide? Yeah. So uh, stay tuned for more on that on The Schlep. All right, all right, all right. Here we are in the third century, and we're asking the question, what happens to Christians who backslide? So we're a couple hundred years into the Christian movement, and we're still situated in the Roman Empire. And as we look back in our history and with the sources that we have, it seems like persecution towards the church was pretty normative. And it, it took different shapes and sizes and different rationales to inflict pain upon a group of people. Um, however, by the end of the third century um, of the church, um, what we have are a couple labels that begin to emerge as Christians label one another according to their actions towards the threat of persecution from the wider world. First, you have a confessor, one who would risk their life uh, for the faith. So someone who pursued martyrdom, uh, someone who wasn't afraid to lose their property or citizenship uh, for the sake of the gospel. And then the other label was a backslider, uh, someone who renounced their faith in the face of trouble. And so as this became more of an apparent shape of the church, we had some people who were confessors willing to struggle and be persecuted for the faith. And those who were evading trouble, uh, a question began to emerge again and again, particularly in northern Africa in the middle of the third century, should Christians be allowed back in if they backslide from the faith and seek re-entry back into the church? So here's the common scenario during the third century, particularly in Northern Africa. There was um, different emperors of Rome who used to force all citizens to worship the Roman gods. So they would set up public altars. Um, they would ask all citizens of Rome to go to the altar to share their name and to publicly profess an allegiance toward the Roman gods. If you refuse to do so, uh, there could be an array of hardships for you and your family. You could uh, be thrown in prison. You could be banished from the empire. You could lose all material assets that you have. And ultimately, you could lose your life or to be harshly treated because of it. And so uh, there was a question again and again, uh, what should happen to those who backslide or those who refuse, sorry, those uh, who confessed and worshiped these Roman gods instead of refusing? Um, because it was, it was honest in Scripture, uh, in a place like Matthew chapter 10, verse 33, Jesus says, If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. So it seemed clear in the teachings of Jesus, if you deny Jesus at the public altar uh, and worship the Roman gods, you're a backslider. Um, but if you confess Christ in the face of hardships, then you are uh, confess before the Father in heaven. So, um, you had a couple of early voices begin to share their perspective on this. The first one is Tertullian, who was one of the towering figures of the early church. He said in a work of his in the year t uh, 212 um, that he was to simply no nonsense about it. He says, All that happens in this world is ordained by God. So, if there's ever an era of persecution and you have to be al happen to be alive during the era of persecution, it seems to be God's will for you to be tested in such a way. 
um, persecution strengthens Christians and it strengthens the church. It, it, um, it removes this mushy middle uh, between those who are kind of in the faith and kind of out of the faith in his mind. And so he said that uh, if God orders persecution, uh, the devil might be applying it, but this is ultimately God's will. So if you flee because of persecution from the faith, then you deny your faith. So it was a pretty cut and dry scenario for Tertullian. He says, persecution is God's will. If it happens to happen in your life, so lean into the, that suffering because if you do so, it's a testing of your faith. If you resist uh, that um, opportunity to uh, be bold in your faith, then uh, you deny the faith and God will ultimately deny you. So this uh, continues to be maybe the idealistic position in the life of the church for some time. Uh, but in 2050, about halfway through the third century, uh, persecution comes up again. And once again, there are mandatory sacrifices for the church. And there was an array of uh, responses to this. And because of that, there was an array of labels that were placed upon Christians depending upon their response to persecution. There was a term applied to some Christians called the lapsi. Uh, these were those who were backsliders who hesitated. Uh, they didn't worship the Roman gods right away, but they didn't stand boldly in their faith right away. You had the, uh, those who would sacrifice to, God, uh, to the Roman gods, uh, and they would deny their faith, um, and they were called the sacrificati. And uh, they were labeled by church leaders as a sacrificati. And then you had those who were trying to buy certificates in order to not be persecuted for their faith. So they didn't confess Christ as Lord in public. Neither did they worship the Roman gods in public. But they were, they were trying to cut deals and to bribe local politicians uh, to give them some fake certificates to prove that they had worshipped the Roman gods, even though they didn't do so. These folks were called libels. Um, and so you had all these different reactions. And so there was councils again and again, several councils, maybe over a five, six year period in the middle of the third century. And so um, this is the initial response uh, to those. Those who were the lapsi, they were, um, they, they were uh, barred. So, sorry, if they want to come back into the church, those who um, struggled in their faith in regards to persecution, if they went back into the church, they would have to beg to the confessors, those who struggled in persecution, for re-entry back into the life of the church, um, and so I, um, and so you had those like they um, fled persecution, um, and then you had some of these confessors who struggled for their faith, and so they um, they decided that they would let them back in if they bugged, if they um, went to these confessors and begged for forgiveness. Um, those who were um, committed libel, uh, tried to find a certificate on, on the black market, um, they were allowed back in entry into the church after a public penance. But then early on, those who sacrificed to the Roman gods, uh, the sacrificati, uh, they were not allowed back into the church. But they were only allowed back into the church upon their death. And so they couldn't come to worship. So it seems like maybe in some scenario they didn't claim that they were not Christians any longer but they prevented them from being a part of the worshiping life of the community. However, there was a later council that changed even these conclusions, and they allowed uh, people, those who were the libels, or those who were the lapsi, and those who were the sacrificati, they were beginning to allow them to back into the church, no matter what, how they responded to persecution, um, by, this, by watching over their life and see if they kept up with a uh, continual penance. 
However, over time still, through this third century, a more moderate position began to develop under the leadership of a well-known Christian history figure named Cyprian. And uh, he began to look at the scripture, and he saw that perhaps at the end of John's gospel, after Peter had denied Jesus, a similar scenario to what they were facing, how Jesus came back to Peter, and through a process of repentance, Peter is allowed not only back into the life of the church, but even to lead the church. And uh, there's a parable uh, of the wheat and the weeds that Jesus tells in Matthew's gospel. And Cyprian just simply concluded that the church is a mystery, that the church is going to have confessors and it's going to have backsliders, and God is at work in the midst of them all. And so instead of being meticulous about removing some and keeping others, they wanted to trust the long game of the grace of God. And this is ultimately what Cyprian concluded. And I thought this was an interesting perspective. He said, that the sin of schism was greater than the sin of apostasy. For Cyprian, the unity of the church was more important than some of these other issues. And so instead of like labeling these different Christians according to this very tough and complex situation of how do we um, navigate life forward in the midst of persecution, Cyprian, one of the leaders in the life of the church, one of the bishops, said that it was important to keep the church together instead of trying to label one another. And so that ends a bit of some of the panorama picture uh, of what happens uh, when, when uh, somebody backslid in the view of the public and not confessing Christ even in the midst of struggle and uh, persecution. So what can we say about this? Uh, this seems to be something that we struggle with today. Um, there are many Christians who are trying to navigate the very complex picture of public life. Um, and we have some in the church who are quick to dismiss Christians if they don't like a way um, that they are like their, I don't know, celebrities in Hollywood and the type of films that they find themselves in. Um, and then you have those who um, hold a little more uh, nuanced view, a more moderate view like Cyprian. Um, even today at the time of this recording, there's this interesting uh, story that's emerging with the Women's World Cup team from the USA. You had uh, a teammate who left the team early on because when it came time uh, for the team to wear a um, LGBT pride jersey, she felt like her Christian convictions would not, um, would not justify her to wear that jersey because of some of her views on marriage. And so she left the team under those convictions. However, there's other there are other outspoken Christians on the team who remained on the team who wore the jerseys and they thought to themselves, uh, you know, what my views are uh, about marriage, uh, perhaps I want to keep to myself. I still feel called to this team. I feel called to play this game and to continue to maybe relationally be uh, a, an influence upon the rest of the players on this team who are not Christians. And so here you have like Christian soccer players who had a couple of different perspectives on how to deal this one issue. And so I just think there's a bit of a comfort here that as we struggle even today navigating very complex issues, there are some in the life of the church who um, would take a Tertullian view and they would say, no, it's, uh, it's fast. Uh, it's, it's cut and dry. There's no nonsense. Uh, we can come to a conclusion very logically here. It's either black or it's white. And then you have some like Cyprian who um, for the sake of the unity of the, church, of the church on particular issues, they want to take a more nuanced view. And so perhaps you and I will keep this in mind as we scroll Facebook, as we think of the different discussions that are happening out there. And hopefully uh, with prayer and with God's help and with our community, um, we'll um, seek God's wisdom uh, for the sake of, of the way forward in these 
uh, nuanced issues. So that's all for this time. Um, grappling with a third century question, what happens to Christians who backslide? And I think it uh, informs our faith today. So that's all for this time. We'll catch you next time as we go to the fourth century and grapple yet another difficult and complex question in the midst of the life of the church. We'll see you next time.